The MarTech Podcast is a proud member of the I Hear Everything Podcast Network. Looking to launch or scale your podcast? I Hear Everything delivers podcast production, growth, and monetization solutions that transform your words into profit. Ready to give your brand a voice? Then visit IHearEverything.com. From advertising to software as a service to data, Across all of our programs and clients, we've seen a 55 to 65% open rate. Getting brands authentically integrated into content performs better than TV advertising. Typical lifespan of an article is about 24 to 36 hours. If we're reaching out to the right person with the right message and a clear call to action, then it's just a matter of timing. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast, a Ben J. Shap LLC production. In this podcast, you'll hear the stories of world-class marketers that use technology to drive business results and achieve career success. We'll unearth the real-world experiences of some of the brightest minds in the marketing and technology space so you can learn the tools, tips, and tricks they've learned along the way. Now here's the host of the MarTech Podcast, Benjamin Shapiro. Welcome to the MarTech Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about how to use market research to maximize profitability. Joining us is Laura Troiani, who is the principal of Plan Beyond, which is a boutique marketing agency focused on research strategy and operations. Specializing in working with startups and organizations launching new products, Plan Beyond helps brands successfully navigate from ideation to launch. And today, Lauren is going to walk us through her views on using market research to nail product and business positioning. Okay, here's our interview with Laura Troiani, principal of Plan Beyond. Laura, welcome to the MarTech podcast. Well, thank you so much for having me. Very excited to have you here. This episode isn't going to launch for a couple of weeks, but we're in the beginning of the coronavirus outbreak. It's a brand new world out there. I hope you're staying healthy, safe, and keeping your hands clean. Yeah, 20 seconds is a really long time to have to wash your hands. And I'm a little embarrassed to admit how poorly I used to wash my hands. That's become crystal clear over the past week. Well, it's probably good for all of us to have uh, better hygiene. It's also probably good for all of us to have a better plan when it comes to marketing. Do a little research. That's where you specialize. Talk to us a little bit about what you think marketing research is and how is it used and how should it be used? Absolutely. So let me, I guess, start with how it shouldn't be used. A lot of folks will say, well, we've got to research our customers. We've got to know what's going on. And they do it for the sake of doing it, which is just a waste of time and probably a good old waste of money. So I always say, if you're thinking about doing research, whether it's with your customers or prospective customers, what's the goal? You better have some kind of tangible goal that you want to run to. And that could be around knowing if you should launch a new product, if the price of something is good, if there's an interesting market to go into, that sort of thing. And that to me is ultimately the point of research. It's spending a little bit of time, probably a little bit of money up front to validate or invalidate some business hypotheses so that you don't spend too much time and too much money in the future on wasted things. So I like how you're positioning market research as an investment that helps you save capital over the long run. And, you know, as much as we are advocates of doing customer research, it's something that I preach regularly. You do have to have a reason and an understanding of what you're trying to research as opposed to just understand basics of who your customers are. 
when you're working with a company or a brand that's launching a startup or that is launching a new product line, talk to me about the process that you go through to help them identify what they should be researching. Is there a methodology for that? Absolutely. I mean, I think it starts out of the gate, forcing them to answer a really simple question, which is, hey guys, let's say it's three months from now and we finish the research, whatever the heck that research looks like. If you could have only one question answered, what would it be? And I love to do that and force people to do that because it really distills the team to come together and go, you know what, we must solve for X or we must solve for Y. And once you know, again, what the objective is that you're looking to solve for, then you can start going, okay, lots of different ways that we can get there. Let's talk about methodologies. But without that crystal clear path of what you're looking to answer, I assure you, A, there's not going to be a clean way of doing it. And B, at the end, the team is probably going to be a little disappointed with what they got. So there's an almost scientific methodology here, which is based on needing to have a hypothesis before you can actually conduct your research and start collecting data. My assumption here is, you know, if you're an existing business, a lot of times brands will want to do research. Hey, we already have customers coming in. We want to know about them to be able to understand what product extensions we should be using. What are some of the marketing channels? And not to be controversial or combative, your recommendation was don't just go out and do your customer research. Am I thinking about this the wrong way? Am I interpreting what you're saying the wrong way? Help me walk through that. Well, no. I mean, I think if I'm thinking about, for instance, your first question, or rather your first phrase, which is thinking about doing research to identify potential new products or product extensions, that is still a very definite goal or question, right? The hypothesis is, we believe extension X or extension Y is going to be valuable to our business, or it's going to allow us to enter a new market or a new customer category. So that's still a very, very defined goal for your research. It's certainly not research for the sake of research. So when you think about doing customer evaluation, right, understanding who the customers are for the idea of targeting and just general research to understand what are the products that they need or want, what your extensions or new product lines can be. How do you go about finding the customers? How many people do you need to interview? What are some of the methodologies you use to actually conduct your research? A lot of that comes back to the nature of the research itself. So you touched on a couple of things, things like, for instance, sample size. What's the right sample size to be using? And then also the customer population. Who should they be? Where should you be sourcing from? And all of that says, it depends. So if you are an existing company with an existing customer base and you really want to know what they look like, awesome. You have a fantastic source of people that you can reach out to to populate your surveys. Conversely, if you are perhaps entering a new category or you don't have that existing customer base for whatever reason, there are a variety of third-party groups generally called panel companies where you can go find people that meet the profile that you want. So there are always ways to get to those folks. I will share though, cost can be an issue because if you have an existing customer database, awesome, no cost to actually pull those people. If you have to go elsewhere and leverage a third party, then of course there is a cost. So that's one way to start thinking about where to find your people. 
I guess my big question here, you mentioned surveys, and I think that there's kind of two methodologies for conducting your research. There's one where you're getting statistically significant research and you're sending out surveys and people are filling out forms and doing their one through five checking off boxes. And the second one is the qualitative going and talking to 10 people and getting a deep dive into what they think. Help me understand the balance of quantitative versus qualitative and where are those two methodologies appropriate? Absolutely. So let's go back to my initial phrase, which is what is it that you're trying to ultimately get at with the research? So if it's something that you really need to quantify, for instance, general interest in a product or service, trying to understand statistically significant differences across groups, then inherently you need a quantitative approach, whether that's doing street surveys or doing some farther level of statistical analysis, you need numbers. On the other side of things, if it's saying, we wonder what people think about this category, or we wonder what comes to mind when people look at this meme or this packaging, that's a deeper conversation. And inherent to that then is a more qualitative or interview-based approach to how you run that research. So let me give you a hypothetical. Let's say I'm conducting uh, research and I'm interested in launching a company with the hypothesis that more people that are full-time employees are going to become contractors in the future. They're going to work from home and work independently. That's a baseline assumption that I would make to launch a company. And the product that I'm thinking about launching is a CRM to help people move from employees to managing their new clientele. A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex, ready to take your team from I think to I know then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, the marketing mixed modeling platform that makes measuring ROI fast, easy, and cost-effective. Request a demo at mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Time for a one-minute break to hear from our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. In 1919, John Wanamaker said, half the money I spend on advertising is wasted. I just don't know which half. Well, the advertising landscape has changed since then. And instead of reaching your audience on two channels, you're probably reaching them on 20. Turns out John didn't know how easy he had it. But that doesn't mean that you should give up on striving towards marketing effectiveness. No matter how complex your marketing strategy is, Mutinex Growth OX is the market mix modeling platform that measures the impact of marketing on your bottom line. Mutinex's market mix modeling platform calibrates your insights against the latest market conditions so you can make media and marketing investment decisions confidently and quickly. Ready to take your team from I think to I know? Then join brands like Samsung, ING, and Asahi who make better marketing decisions with Mutinex. Mutinex Growth OX, your best decision starts here. To learn more about Mutinex, go to mutinex.co. That's M-U-T-I-N-E-X dot co. Okay, here's the rest of today's interview. How would you go about validating that my baseline assumption is true? What's the methodology you would follow to make sure that I'm not just investing money into building a product that there isn't a need for? So you had a couple hypotheses there. One was that we are going to see the shift from full-time to this more contract-based approach to employment. That's a pretty easy thing to use a survey or a quantitative method to approach. 
So that's a matter of finding individuals who are currently full-time and asking them that question. Now, of course, you might want to say, well, maybe it's not all full-time people, but it's full-time people within a certain functional area. Marketers. Marketers. Okay. Gotcha. Then you have to make sure that you are talking to marketers. But again, are they at SMBs? Are they at enterprises? Et cetera, et cetera. So you have to be very, very precise about what type of marketers you are asking. But because you are looking for a very quantitative answer, sort of a yes or no, or is there a majority or isn't there a majority? I'd say, yeah, go quantitative with that. And if that hypothesis bears fruit, then we go to your next question, which is, I have this idea for this product that kind of does X, Y, and Z. What do we think? And you could say, you know, with that, there actually are two approaches. You could go quantitative again and do something called a concept screen. And you'd get some pretty rote answers. You'd have to probe on what attributes that you've defined in that concept are appealing or unappealing, and people would respond accordingly. It's frankly just okay of an approach when you don't know much going in. So when you really are in the very early nascent stages of product development, qualitative can be a much, much richer approach to get to that end result. And yeah, talking to, I'd say maybe 10 folks, maybe 15, if you want to get folks from different industries or expertise levels to present that concept and really hear from them, what are they saying? What are they like? What vocabulary are they using? Those sorts of things would make qualitative much richer, I'd argue, better approach for that question. So as you think about conducting research specifically for launching a new business or product and business positioning, what are some of the types of surveys, types of questions, types of methodologies that you're really focusing on to help people understand, okay, not necessarily if there is a market, but how do we place ourselves within that market against comparing ourselves to the competition? For me, one of my favorite approaches, if time and resources permit, is doing customer segmentation. So what customer segmentation is, it's the practice of really dividing a larger customer group, like using your example, a group of marketers, into smaller, distinct groups, usually based on how they vary across demographic or psychographic components. And when we perform that segmentation, and again, usually it's using statistics and a, something called cluster analysis, to actually execute on it, we get some very clear distilled groups that we could potentially go after within an existing market. And why that becomes really valuable is we can understand things like the market share of those folks, things like their individual wants and needs and pain points. And that becomes really, really valuable so that as we're thinking about developing that new product or service, begin to go, you know, it's really going after group A and group C or group D, they're just not quite right. What we think we can create or we think we can bring to market doesn't align with their needs. I guess the last question I have for you is, we've talked a lot about quantitative versus qualitative, and in this case, trying to find where you fit in the market. I think that a lot of brands, mostly early stage startups, really rely on intuition, a general feel on what the marketplace dictates from their personal experiences. Where should you rely on intuition and where does it get you into trouble when you're trying to figure out how to place yourself in a market? Where I've seen that intuition or gut feel work best is when the founders of that company come from that industry specifically, and they've been there for years. 
So they themselves have that firsthand experience of what is needed by folks like them and their counterparts. And I'd say that's fair and reasonable place to use intuition and gut. Where that begins to fail is when you start to create distance between who you are as a business and a product and who your end customer is. Individuals who believe that they are identifying a need in a market that they have not been in, or for individuals who maybe have been out of that market for a couple of years, maybe because they've been building that very startup that we're talking about, that's when making sure that you are regularly talking to your customers and doing that research becomes so much more important. I have a startup that I launched 10 years ago. I talk about it all the time on this podcast. It was a video guitar lesson website called Strum School no longer with us. And I spent a lot of time trying to research how people played the guitar and how people, you know, the product that I thought they wanted and what are some of the mechanisms that were the problem with in-person guitar lessons to try to move that business into the digital era. And the problem that I didn't really think about was how big is the industry? When you're going about your market research and trying to figure out whether to launch an early stage venture, What advice do you have for people to understand how to identify the market? How much time should they spend identifying the market and opportunity? And how much time should they identify what the actual customer needs are? Absolutely. And I think early days, those two things go hand in hand. And it's going to be all qualitative. It's going to be talking to folks within your network or asking folks in your network to talk to folks in their network and beginning asking very, very precise questions around what are their needs? Do they have these pain points? Is the idea for the product or service attractive to them? That sort of thing. Because I think you'll begin to understand at that stage, after you've talked to 15 or 20 individuals, is there actually interest? Or are folks just sort of nodding their heads because they just want to be nice, but they're really not interested in what you have to offer? At the end of the day, you do need to try to figure out both, is there a market and does the product you have solve the problems for your market? And I think, you know, when you're going through your product ideation phase and figuring out whether you should invest your time and budget into a venture, those are really the first questions you have to ask. And we're going to continue the conversation with Laura and talk about what do you do when you've figured out your product market fit? How do you optimize and make the most money out of that product? So that wraps up this episode of the MarTech Podcast. Thanks to Laura Troiani, the principal of Plan Beyond, for joining us. In part two of our interview, which we're going to publish tomorrow, Laura and I are going to talk about zeroing in on the ideal product price point. If you can't wait until our next episode and you'd like to get in touch with Laura, you can find a link to her LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact her on Twitter. Her handle is Laura Troiani, L-A-U-R-A-T-R-O-Y-A-N-I, or you can visit her company's website, which is planbeyond.com, P-L-A-N-B-E-Y-O-N-D.com. Just one more link in our show notes I'd like to tell you about. If you didn't have a chance to take notes while you were listening to this podcast, head over to martechpod.com. We have episode summaries, contact information for our guests. You can subscribe to our once a week newsletter. You can even send us your topic suggestions or your marketing questions, which we'll answer live on our show. Of course, you could always reach out on social media. Our handle is martechpod, M-A-R-T-E-C-H-P-O-D on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Or you can contact me directly. My handle is benjshap, B-E-N-J-S-H-A-P. And if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge in your podcast feed, in addition to part two of our conversation with Laura Troiani, principal at Plan Beyond, we're going to publish an episode every day this year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app, and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning. 
All right, that's it for today. But until next time, my advice is to just focus on keeping your customers happy. Thanks for listening to the MarTech Podcast, and I hear everything production. Looking to launch or scale a podcast like this one for your brand? Then visit IHearEverything.com.